I'm going to tag off of that a little bit, not preaching on fathers uh, pretty much, but I guess I am. Uh, even though we play the, the video, even though we describe and illustrate and, and say thank you to all the fathers, there's one thing that just keeps hammering at me is that America now has become number one. We are number one. We are the most fatherless nation in the, country, in the world. We're the country that celebrates Father's Day. We're the country that... But you think about it. We think of China, Russia. We think of all these countries, these, these horrible places. We are the number one at the most fatherless nation in the world. There's none better at it than us. We can have kids, don't know what to do with them. We can produce them and leave them. We are the most fatherless nation in the world. It doesn't take much effort to be a father. It takes a whole lot to be a dad. So what I want to talk about today is hopefully from the Christian perspective, that seems even worse because we are a, a nation of churches, a nation of religion. We are a nation of, and there, of all religions, of all those, the Christian faith more than anything talks about Father. In fact, we describe our God as our heavenly Father. We use Him as an example. So you can see why now it's so hard many times to win people because when you say, hey, you have a heavenly father, well, immediately, well, I guess he's going to leave too. I guess he's going to be absent too. I guess he doesn't care either. See, even from the time a child comes into the world, your job as a father is to begin to push them toward a knowledge of God, and you do that by, as the video explains, your commitment, your excellence, your lifestyle, everything that you do. So this morning, I want, to, I want to talk about a phrase that is not talked about a lot, and yet it is the very first step of any Christian faith. It is the very first step of your Christian walk, and yet we've skipped it, we've, we've omitted it from the Christian life, and therefore, we have the problems we have today in our country. We have the problems we have today in homes, in families, in lives. And this simple phrase, I know you're going to love and you're going to write this one down, it's called self-denial. It is the beginning of the Christian faith. There is nowhere else to begin when we begin the Christian faith than an understanding of self-denial. When Jesus walks by the disciples and they're at the boats and they're, they're cleaning their nets, what does he do? He just says, Follow me. What do they have to do? They left their nets and they left all. In fact, Peter would later tell Jesus, said, we have left all for you. There is no relationship, no connection, nothing that will ever be spoken that where self-denial is not introduced into the Christian faith. In fact, it is the beginning of it. I'm going to walk through some scriptures with you this morning and no, no Bible story, but I want to walk through a few scriptures. We're going to walk through Philippians at first. Go with me in your Bibles to Philippians 2, and we'll begin at verse 1. We're going to walk through these scriptures and understand as the Apostle Paul is writing to this church and trying to get them to understand, here is the first step in their journey with Christ. It is the very first step in their process. So here's what he begins to say. And if you want to do points, then I'm going to do three points this morning. And point number one is simply this, is that the first lesson in Christ's school is self-denial. The first class, the first lesson that you'll ever learn in the Christian walk or in the relationship with Jesus Christ is self-denial. So here's how Paul describes it. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? So what he's saying is, 
is that introduction to Christ. If you're in this room and you say, I got saved. I gave my life to God. I I received salvation because everybody's going to tell you that salvation is what? Free. It's, It's free. Salvation is free. And look at the person beside you and say, it is. It is. You can't buy it. You don't earn it. Salvation is free. I I can't argue that. It's by grace, not by any works that any man does. It's an absolute truth. The Apostle Paul is not denying this understanding. He said, listen, what Jesus has done for you has impacted your life. But here's the question. How has it impacted your life? Has it simply made you think that now I get a get-out-of-jail-free card, that now I can do what I want to do because I've checked off the box? Is it the fact that, well, he paid the price. I don't really have to do anything. It's free, so therefore it didn't cost anything. It's not of any value. I can go back and live my life. Well, you would be badly misunderstanding it. You would badly misunderstand what the Apostle Paul would say because he would come to you immediately after the day of salvation. I love John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist Church, and he would ask every person who had received Christ, This simple statement, he would ask them, have you received Christ? Yes. Do you believe in Christ? Yes. Have you accepted him as your Savior? Yes. And he would look at them and he would say, I will see you at 5.30 tomorrow morning for Bible study. I will see you tomorrow morning at 5.30 for Bible study. Why? Because he understood this very scripture Go back with me and listen to how the Apostle Paul is saying this. He's talking about salvation, but he's saying, did something genuinely happen in your life? Did you receive a rebirth? Did you become regenerated? Did your life be transformed? Or was it just words that you were speaking? He said, is there any encouragement that belonging to Christ? Since you've accepted Christ, is there encouragement in your life? Man, I'm going to heaven. I've got a new home. Is there any encouragement that comes from knowing Christ? Any comfort of his love? You're not worried about life anymore. You're not worried about what's happening. You're not worried about the stock markets and inflation and everything. You've got bigger issues and you've got bigger things to worry about. You have accepted Christ and you have a new home and you have a new family. Everything has changed and you've got a new love. Is there any encouragement, any comfort? Is there any fellowship together in the Spirit? Has the Spirit moved into your life? Has he come in and set up his residence? Has he come and now begin to speak to you and you begins to talk to you and tell you of things that you need to be doing and things you need to be thinking about and stuff that you need to begin doing and stop doing and has he began to set up the house in your heart any fellowship together with the spirit are your hearts tender and compassionate is there a genuine love now for people you used to hate Is there a different care now for things you used to not care about? Words you used to say and use God's name in vain, now if they came out of your mouth, it'd be like, oh, can't do that. It would, it would break your heart. Your heart has become tender. Your heart has become feelable. You can't go the same places. You can't talk the same way. There's a different compassion for people. Now, verse 2, then make me truly happy, the Apostle Paul says. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. He said, if you've really received genuine salvation, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to begin the process of self-denial. Here's what I want you to do. If you want to really make me happy, now I need you to make a step. John Wesley would say, meet me at 530. The Apostle Paul would say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to start loving people you used to couldn't love. I want you to give yourself wholeheartedly to this mission of being connected to Christ. I want you to work together with one mind and purpose. That is to save and lead as many people to Christ as possible. You've got no other reason for living. You've got no other reason for breathing. You've got no other reason to exist. Wholehearted with all your heart. 
I want you to give everything you got to this. Would you really love Paul to be your preacher? Many times, oh, I'd love to have heard Jesus or Paul. Really? Would you? Or would he just made you mad? Because if just his words made you mad, imagine him looking at you and saying it. But this is what he would have said. Verse 3, don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. But be humble. Thinking of others better than yourself. Listen to me. This is the first step on the road to your walk with Christ. It's why most people struggle in it. It's why most people don't make it. Or genuinely never really were serious to begin with. Because the very first step on this road is a step of you dying and Him living. It's Him living through you. Not Him trying to help you get what you want. Not your plans and agenda and He just blesses them. But the first step is the understanding that I deny myself. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others better than yourself. Point one, let me remind you again. The first lesson in Christ's school is self-denial. You will go nowhere in your walk with Christ. That's why most people hate going to church. Even though they claim to know Jesus, they hate going to church. Because the problem is not church. The problem is not Jesus. The problem is you. You got one issue. You do not want to self-denial yourself. You do not want to die. Between the two of you, one of you will have to. Either Christ will have to die out of your life, or you will have to die to yourself. It is the simple process by which Christ operates. Now, before you get all upset and think, well, this is too, this is, I mean, Pastor Lot, I've never heard this kind of stuff. I know TBN sounds so much better where if you just give $39.99, it's all about you. And you get a new car, and you get a new house, and you get new stuff, and you get to have nice suits, and you get to... But in the true Christian faith, the reason it's not working in America, the reason TBN's not working in America, the reason modern Christianity is not working in America, because it's not Christianity. It's religion. And the religion is, is if you'll do it, God will bless you. That's a religion that's been set up, but it's not Christianity. It's not what Paul preached. It's not what Jesus preached. Let me show it to you. Verse 4. Don't look out only for your own, but take an interest in others too. In fact, one version says to think of others above your, that your interest, what you want, does not matter. What if you got up tomorrow and just mentally decided what I want doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is what I can do for the other person that needs help. What I want doesn't matter. What I would like doesn't matter. What I would like to get doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is, is the other person or other people in my life, are they moving forward? Do you understand why we don't have fathers in America now? Because it's the same process. You have to get up every day and go to a job and give your check away for the next 25 years to a family that's going to spend it, eat it, vacation it, and give it away. It's called self-denial. And when it's all said and done, you die. And they'll love mother more. Because we've built America on that. We've built America on the fact that mothers are the most important thing. No, they're not. Not even close. 
I love you ladies, appreciate your moms bringing all these kids into the world, but let me tell you something, you want a messed up world, you let mothers run the world. There had better be some dads with strong backs and strong arms and some strong will to be able to stand up to the society that we live in and to young people and give them their identities. Women will never give them their identity. I love you. I pray you have a role to love them and nurture them, but there sooner or later has to be a strong man that comes into their life and says, this is who you are. If society doesn't have that, then we're not going to know what gender we are. We're going to not know what we are in, in general. We're not going to know what bathroom to go to. We're not going to know anything about anything, and we'll call it normal. The apostle says, quit looking out for yourself. Make it about other people. If you can do this, your life will explode. Listen to me. I know what I'm saying. Like, boy, Pastor Lot's asking me to die. Pastor Lot's asking me to give up everything. Pastor Lot, man, I'm telling you, you're killing me. Well, hold on. It's not a bad deal. How has selfishness worked out for you? All that selfishness you've been living in, how's that been working out for you? King of your own castle that's falling apart. How about do it God's way for a while? Let me show you what will happen. Verse 5. You must have the same attitude that Christ had. Because you're a Christian, right? You, you, you gave your life to Jesus. Well, he's your example. And he said, okay, I know what I'm asking. The Apostle Paul knows. He said, I'm, I'm, I know what I'm throwing on you sounds hard and difficult to die, to love others, to care for others more than yourself, to think of other people's situation. Don't worry about your situation. Always putting others above you. And, and, and I know that sounds difficult, but let me give you the ultimate example. His name was Jesus Christ, and Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice for every single person, every individual in the world. Jesus decided personally, I will show you how this works our example is Jesus you must have the same attitude you must if you're going to walk this thing out look at the person beside you and say you must it will not work any other way I know it sounds hard it sounds difficult but listen to me it will not work any other way verse 6 though he was God he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. So you have your rights. I, I can't make you do anything I'm telling you today. Well, you, you can't make I can't. I can't make you fathers go home and spend the next 20 years giving your life away to your kids. I can't make your moms go home and be the mother you're supposed to be for the next 20 years for your kid. I can't make parents decide we're going to stay together and be an example for our. We're going to stay married no matter what if we have to live in three different bedrooms to keep each other from dying. If we ain't going to kill each other, but we're going to hang in there. We're going to fight through it. We're going to finish this thing. We are not letting go. I don't know, I don't know if you have that in you to be so selfless to do something for somebody besides yourself. But Jesus did. Though he was God, he did not think it of equality with God as something to cling to. Verse 7, notice, instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He, he laid them down. He, he, he held them back. In fact, he didn't even just lay them down. He still possessed them, but chose not to use them. That's even harder. See, when I was a kid, I used to think of how Jesus took off the robes of glory and how Jesus left glory and he left all that and he, and he became, no, no, no. Listen to me very carefully. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble, what? Position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared when he appeared in human, let me see if I can explain it. Pull up the picture, the first one. I was, uh, 
an ant, I believe. Okay, think of it this way. If you, if you took an ant, and if I decided, I've been walking around here, ant beds, thousands of ants, little ants crawling, I see them going on my driveway, and, and I want, I want to, to empathize, I want to know what it's like to be an ant. So what I do is I, I clothe myself in the, in the skin of an ant. I clothe my, I shrink myself down as small as I can because if I had the ability, I'd shrink myself down to the size of an ant and, and I would just become one ant on an anthill and, and I would be just one little ant. But the problem is, is that inside me is still all the power to do everything I would want to do, but I choose not to. That at any minute, I could, I, could, I could just say, I don't want to be an ant anymore. I could get big and go, get this, kill him suckers. But every day for 30 years, I chose to stay in the mound, to be a worker, to do everything an ant does so that I can empathize and understand what every ant in the world goes through. So that if somebody said, you don't understand what it's like to be an ant. Oh, yes, I do. I chose, I, I forced myself, I positioned myself to where I could walk among ants for 32 years. Well, you just became an ant. Oh, no, 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 no. I still retained all my godliness. I just chose never to use it. I could have at any minute became who I was again. But I chose, even to the point when the other ants didn't like me and wanted to kill me, I still would not turn back into who I was. Show the other picture, even, even something smaller. This is an amoeba. It's the smallest living thing there is. You don't even see it, it's so small. Think of how God sees us, like one little speck. It's not even a real thing. It's just a speck on top of a speck. And yet God says, I want to be that so I can understand what you went through. I didn't lose my powers. I didn't lose my abilities. I chose to not use them. I will never use them against. I will never defy what the Father decided. The Father said, I want you to take on the form of an ant. I want you to take on the form of humanity. I want you to come down among humans. And I want you to walk among them so that we, as the Godhead, will understand exactly what they feel and what they experience. And to show them that if I put myself inside of them, the same power you had is that you overcame the world so that they can overcome the world. Listen, listen to what happens. Go back to the Scriptures. He humbled himself. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born in a, in, as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. He would not turn back into who he was. Remember the Bible says that he could call legions of thousands upon thousands of angels to take him off the cross if he had wanted to. Pilate, who was the most powerful person in the region, looks at him and says, do you not know I have power to kill you? And Jesus looks at him wrapped in human form and says, you don't understand. The only reason you can do what you're doing right now 
It's because my Father has given you power. You don't know power. You don't understand power. I understand power. And the only reason I'm not knocking a hole in you right now is because my Father says he loves you so much that I cannot do it. When you thrust those thorns on my head, I cannot. When you beat me, I cannot. When you nail me to a tree, I cannot. On my last breath, I will say to my Father, it is finished. I know what it's like to live as they live. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. This is what Paul is explaining. That, (laughs) therefore, God hath done what? Exalted him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess, should declare that Jesus Christ is Lord for the glory of the Father. Point two. The death or the path of self-denial is the way in which you find peace and joy, and strength. So you keep fouling it up. You keep thinking, if I escape this, I will be free. No, you will be that much more in bondage to it. If I can get out of here, no, you'll be in more bondage. The path of self-denial is the way of peace to your heart. The other part of point two, those who deny themselves for Christ enjoy and learn to enjoy themselves in Christ. See, it's a totally different system. If you want to be great in this world, what do you need to do? You need to be rich and powerful and strong and and all the things. But if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, what do you need to be? Poor, humble, lowly, broke, nothing. How's that going to help me? Because God then becomes your strength, your wisdom, your answer, your... In the world, if, if, if you want to move up, what do you do? You work hard, you, you cheat whoever you got to cheat, you manipulate whatever you got to manipulate, you do whatever you got to do. You, you, you. If you want to be great in the kingdom, what do you got to do? You got to become the greatest servant that ever lived. Let me give you a word for it. Here, write this down. Self-denial. You had not written it down yet. Some of you are still sitting there. You ain't written it down. Your life will not move forward. Your family will not move forward. Your existence will not move forward in the kingdom of God. You can keep coming to church. You can keep singing the praise songs. But as long as you walk out that door and you do not understand self-denial, your life will never go forward. It is the kingdom way. He who wants to be great must become the least. Every time you smart back at somebody, you just walked out of the kingdom. Every time you defended yourself, you just walked out of the kingdom. Well, bro, we can't let people run over. Sure you can. That's what Jesus did. How did it turn out for him? He's the greatest name in the world and has been for 2,000 years. Let me give you a break. His name will be the greatest name in the world when the world's over. And he's asking you for your name to be connected with his. To be his brother, his sister, to be part of his family, to accept his father as Lord of your life. 
Number three, you must then learn to school yourself by self-denial. If you ever want to learn how to master yourself. (laughs) It, It sounds so crazy. If I want to become a better self, if I want to become a better Tim, I do not need to become more TikTok famous. If I want to be a better Tim, I do not need to have a Facebook account. If I want to be a better Tim, if I want to be the best version of myself I can be, then self-denial is the process by which I learn how to handle Tim. It's how I learn to handle myself. Let me show it to you in Scripture. Verse 12. I always got Scripture for this stuff. Dear friends. I love how Paul, now he's done, he done wore them out. Now he comes back and says, dear friends. Would it be all right if I just tell you right now, hey guys, I love y'all. I love y'all. I do. Everything I've preached today, I didn't write this, so don't get mad at me. Paul wrote this. He's a horrible man. But he wrote this, and we've got we've to read it. But Paul said, Dear friends, you always followed my instruction when I was with you. And don't we? When's the easiest time to live for God? When Pastor Lodge beside you. Isn't it? Anyway, if, if I'm walking with you, if I say, how am I going to ride in a truck with you today? Does your day get better or more holy, or does it get less holy? Do you cuss more or less? A lot less. Even people say, well, I don't care what he thinks. If I sit up in that truck, let me tell you something, it changes. <laughs> it don't matter how bad they think they are. I walk up in there, either they want to get a million miles. I've, I've been locked up on boats with people that thought they were bad. I've been, I'm telling you, I've been in every situation. Let me tell you something, they ain't that bad. Because they, they don't understand wherever I put my foot becomes my property. God just walked in the building. Now what we're going to do? And he says, dear friends, while I was with you, gave you instructions, you followed them. And now that I'm away, it is even more important that you do it. Why? Because you're not building a relationship off your preacher or your pastor or your... It's your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Work hard to show the results. I love this. Because salvation isn't where it ends. He said, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Everything I just preached to you, the Apostle Paul said, did you get saved? Good. Here's what I need you to do. Did you get saved? Yes. Here's what I need you to do. If you genuinely got saved, it's time to get busy. So work hard at the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Verse 13. For God is working. God's working in you if you quit fighting Him. It's not like you've got to make a list of do's and don'ts. Just just start living your life and what God moves on you and says, look, mm -mm." then quit it. If God shows you something you need to do, then do it. I'll give you a scenario. The other day, I stopped at the quick stop, and there was a homeless guy sitting there. And I was pumping my gas, and, you know, God started dealing with me. You need to give him something to him. So I looked over my dash thing. I had a dollar bill and a $10 bill. Y'all know which one I grabbed. The dollar bill. That's right. Grabbed the dollar bill. And I'm like, let me go see if I can, you know, this guy needs a Coke. It's 90 degrees out here. Let me, you know, he's sitting over there. And I got about three steps with a dollar bill. And you know what God said to me? Now, Tim, you know I'm going to give to you the measure that you give to others. Now, you have to choose, Tim. If I have in heaven 1% blessing or 100% blessing, which one you want? So I turn back around, I go back, and I put the dollar up, and I grab the 10. 
And I head back over to the guy. And as I'm heading there, the quick stop actually has a food thing inside. So the, the lady that I know walks out and she looks at me and, 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 and I'm holding the $10 bill trying to give it to the guy. He's not all 100% and he's kind of schizophrenic-like and he's talking and, 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 and she's trying to talk to him. And she's like, I'm going to get you some food. I want to get you this, this. And, 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 and I'm trying to give him the dollar. And, and I said, look. He doesn't want this. You got him? You got him? And she said, yes, I got it. I'll take care of his food. I said, good. I said, I, I, and I turn around and walk away. And about that time, she walks in to get his food. and He, he walks away. You're like, well, nothing got done. Oh, yes, it did. For God is working in you to give you a desire and the power to do what You quit worrying about the results. I don't care about results. Results take care of themselves. All I worry about is if God nudges me tomorrow to do something, to give more, to, to become more, to, to care more, to call someone that I've been angry with for 20 years and say, look, I'm sorry, I'll take the blame for it because God told me to, then am I willing to allow God who's working in me to give me the desire and the power to do what pleases Him? Verse 14, do everything without complaining and so if you do it, don't walk around with your lips stuck out like, well, God made me give it $10. I've got $10. I don't know where I'll get. Just do it. Be thankful God gave it to you to begin with. This is the Christian walk, guys. I know this ain't the version you heard. And some of you ain't been living it in a long, long time. But this is the Christian life. This is how it works. This is what brings your joy. Do everything without complaining and arguing. So that no one else can do what? What's wrong with the church? What's wrong? The world laughs at us. You care as much about the worldly stuff as they do. You got as much security systems and worry more about your 401k and your retirement, whether you're going to make it to 100 or not. You worry as much as they do. They look at you and they're like, you're not real. You don't believe it no more than we do. Why? Because you argue about the same stuff we argue about. You get more mad about who's president than you do whether people are lost and going to hell. You wouldn't give $3 to help win a soul. You'd give $20 to your favorite party. Can we just be real? So that no one will criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firm to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not... Just like Jesus received His, let me tell you what's coming to you. You have an inheritance. In fact, there's a name given to you that you don't even know about. The Bible says that when you get to heaven, there's a name that will be given to you. There's things about you only God knows and only God has stored up and only God has planned. All the stuff that you've sent in good deeds and things you say, well, I did it, but nobody cared. I did it, but they laughed at me. Who cares? The Bible says God remembers it and God holds it. He, Paul would later say, send up those inheritance upward because that day's the only day that's going to matter. When he returns and when he sees you, will he be smiling and say, man, have I got some stuff to show you? You have been the bomb down here. Hold firm to the word of life that on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain. That my work was not useless. Go with me in your Bibles to Luke 9, 23 through 25. I want to read a couple passages for you just to show you that I'm not just saying this to be saying it. 
Then he said to the crowd, If anyone wants to be my follower, he must turn from your own selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. This is Jesus. This isn't the Apostle Paul. If you try to hang on to your life, I'm just going to tell you how he said it now. If you try in this world to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, we always think, well, that means I had to die. No, it means give it up. It means give it up. Doesn't mean I, well, I'll be willing to die for Jesus. That's not what it's asking. It's saying right where you are, will you self in self-denial give up your life and say, Lord, you do with it what you want. But if you give it up for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you yourself are lost and destroyed? It's going to matter. One day when you're standing at that judgment seat, nobody's going to ask you what kind of golf clubs you have. Nobody's going to ask you what kind of car you drove. Nobody's going to ask you how big your house was and how many bedrooms you had. When you meet Him on that day, what will it benefit you if you gain the whole world and you lose and you lose and are destroyed by the stuff that doesn't matter? I'm not telling you go home, sell everything you got. I'm not telling you go bankrupt and give everything to the Lord. But I'm telling you, you're going to have to surrender your life to Him if you're going to find it. Otherwise, this is always just going to be church. And it's just going to be a building. And it's just going to be something you have to do on Sunday morning before you go back to your world and live your life the rest of the time. Let me show it to you in the book of Acts. Acts 2 and 42 through 45. The early church understood this. The, the group that turned the world upside down. This is what it says. All believers, all the believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles perform, performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared some of the stuff they had. They shared everything. If I own it, you own it. If I got it, you got it. If I got a tractor, that means the church has got a tractor. They shared everything. Nothing they considered their own. Let me show you in Acts 4, verses 32 through 35. Acts 4, 32 through 35. And all the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not... You thought I was making it up when I just said that. What I have, you have. Brother you can't believe that, oh yeah. It's the way I've tried to live in front of you guys for many, many years. And I may fail sometimes, I'm sorry if I do, but my whole goal is to live in front of you that nothing I have is for me. If it will help you, if it will move you on your journey, if I need to sell it to get it to you, it's yours. All believers were united in heart. They felt that what they had was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's great blessings was upon them. Notice now, hold on. They're giving, they're trying to give stuff away. But the problem is what's happening at the same time. God's great blessings was upon them. <laughs> Verse 34. There were no needy people among them. 
Because those who own land and houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles and give to those in need. I'm not asking you to go sell your land. But I'm telling you there's a heart that has to be. You notice that every time it talks about when they were doing what they were supposed to do, that great miracles were taking place. When they were doing what they were doing, when preachers preached, people got saved because it's just like these people are real. You can't fight it. Our problem is we still preach, but we don't live it. We still pray for miracles, but we don't care about others as much as we do ourselves. And because of it, we never see the signs and we never see the things we really, really want to see. Will you stand? What are you trying to say, Pastor? I'm telling you today is that the kingdom of God is not about making yourself the ends and the purpose of everything. It's about giving yourself away so that God can turn around and bless it in a miraculous way. Let me share it to you in just the story that's going on out here right now. We were good as a church. We had no problems. Plenty of room, good air conditioning, no need to stress out over nothing. And then a need arose. About 500 kids in this state were going to a camp, maybe around 500, 510. It done dwindled down. Maybe there was that many. They were hanging out in college dormitories trying to have camp. They were at different hotel areas and resort areas and mixed in with normal people, general public. It was a mess. Nobody's fault. Nobody, nobody to be blamed. It just, it just kind of fell that way. It was a need. God says, what you got? God, I got strength to do it. I got, if you'll open up some doors, I'll have some land to do it. If you'll, if you'll bring some people on, I'll have some people that'll want to do it. And over the last two plus years, We've been in the process of putting this camp and putting all this together. This year, the registration for that camp, for just the four camps, will be right at 700 kids. Our bills are paid. God keeps blessing us. And they're blessed. Now they've got extra money to, to, to buy some stuff and to do better games and to do different things. They've got a whole area they can dream. And we ain't even opened up the lake area that'll be next year. And what are you saying, Pastor? I'm telling you the greatest things you'll ever do in your life is when it's not about you. It's when God shows you a need and you give yourself to accomplish it. Jesus is our example. He saw a need. We were lost and undone and could not get to Him. And He said, I'll come and I'll give everything I got so that you could be in my family. And now every day that we rise, we have to make that choice. Are we willing to be like Jesus? To give what we have, what God has blessed us with. To touch one more person, one more life, one generation. 
It is kind of ironic that on Father's Day, that's the message because that's really what a father does. I've raised three children. It's taken about everything I got. But it's okay. Because I didn't do it for me. I did it so they could have better lives. If you're in this place today, if you can't figure out why you don't have joy, why you don't cry and get excited about God's stuff, I can tell you why. It's because too much of your walk with God is about what God's going to do for you. Most of your prayers is what you need, what you got to have, and what ain't right in your life. I don't remember Jesus ever praying one of those prayers. He just prayed, God, give me strength to give myself away a little more. If you're in this place today, with every head bowed, I've said this as good as I can. Your journey with Christ begins, the true journey with Christ begins when you decide, I'll live a life of self-denial. So that God can catch up from behind me and overshadow me with blessings that I don't even see coming. Not only in this world, but the world to come. Father, if there's someone in this room today who has not understood this, who has struggled with this, God, would you just let them realize, yes, I've asked Jesus as my Savior. Yes, I believe in Him. Yes, I know that He's the Lord. But what's wrong with me, Pastor? Lord, will you let them see that it's in giving themselves away that they find themselves. In giving themselves away, they find their life. The more they give, the more life they find. Father, I pray they see it. And they do it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Hey, go give that old devil fits. <laughs>